River Road, you got me running way back home. River Road, you got me running all night long. You got me singing some canal boat song. River Road, River Road, you got me running all night long. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Niner Nuts. I'm Dan, along with James. And I definitely didn't jump the gun on that intro before recording. Uh, <laughs> but we're two best buddies, and we love to talk about the 49ers, and that's what we do here on this podcast. That intro music that you heard at the top there is River Road by Justin Muth. And again, thank you very much to Daniel Mayer of Mayor Creative for our show logo. We absolutely love it. It's beautiful. Uh, it's been a little while since we've been back. As you no doubt noticed, it's always been two weeks in between shows lately. But <laughs> happy belated independence day happy treason day for all of our fans here in the united states assuming you're all from the united states uh happy regular day to people that are international uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah uh not too much going on on the news front um so what we decided to do this week we wanted to watch all six episodes of joe montana cool under pressure it is the uh peacock documentary uh currently streaming on that service from nbc and james you did finally get all six watched right yes yes i made it just under the wire did it yesterday on independence day as i was just finished fireworks you know nice the wife let me light off fireworks, and then she's like go ahead and watch your documentary that you need for the show so i only really needed to watch like two episodes by that point so um, I had gotten most knocked out of the way by then. So, yeah, okay. I got through it. <laughs> I When we thought we were taping last week, I had them all watched, and I didn't watch them again in between this extra week off that we took, but this is the second time that I've gotten through it. Um, I watched it originally when it came out, like, between January and February. I remember it was on during the playoffs, um, and I started it kind of late. I think I only watched the last, like, two episodes live, well, live quote-unquote but um no it was kind of fun having separation from that first viewing for this one for me uh and i guess we'll um i guess i want to start by asking just like a general like did you like it what do you think of the whole six hours because like for me i kind of just like the it was kind of fun to just have like the big six hour just kind of lecture history lesson for me the first go around like yeah most of the stuff i knew about uh, a couple of the things I actually didn't know about, but um, it's I only have a couple little gripes with it. I think the first episode, the last episode, I think the the, the bookends are the best episodes. Um, some things that happen in the middle that we can maybe dive in a little deeper on, like, I don't know, it's kind of choppy, like some of the some of the storylines that they follow in the middle just kind of like. Oh, when that happened, there was a big drug scandal in the NFL, and they give it like five minutes of screen time. And it's just like, wait, Joe wasn't more involved in that. What? They, they just they just kind of brushed through a couple things. I was a little surprised at, but um, the stuff that they do go deep on, awesome, absolutely compelling interviews, great uh, pot or great stockpile of archival footage because obviously there's tons of it. It's the NFL; they record everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I guess if I as a cumulative six hours uh, on your typical five star scale, I'd give it, I'd give certain episodes three stars, some episodes five, like the first two. So as a whole, I'll split the difference at like, uh, I'll split the difference at four. I think this was 
a very solid documentary. I think a football fan that's not as familiar with San Francisco or the or the Niners, uh, I think it, they're going to be pretty entertained if they want to watch this. Um, it does feel a little TV documentary. It didn't feel quite that cinematic, but I mean that could just be a personal gripe of mine as well. But um, yeah. no, I was I was pretty thoroughly entertained with it. Um, so what did, what did you think of it? Well. After watching all six episodes, I liked what I particularly liked about it was, you know, like I've growing up watching Joe Montana, seeing how good he was and just knowing how good he was and the legend of how good he was. And it's just like it was kind of see it was kind of nice to see that he really wasn't Jesus Christ incarnate at the quarterback position, you know? Right. Like, you know, like, like, you know, just sort of like, you know, I, you know, I had grown up, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. So I was familiar with Joe Montana. I didn't know his whole history or how he was this underdog at Notre Dame. You know, I knew that he was a third round pick, but, you know, and I, you know, I knew that, but like, you know, just watching him you know, in the late 80s and early 90s, you know, like everybody thought of him as like almost a god, you know, just with how good he was. And just learning that there was some humanistic parts about him that there were even weaknesses. And, you know, Holgram even said he couldn't run this one play. Like, you know, he strived for perfection, but there was one play that, he couldn't do and so they just took it out and then he he looked like even better you know and so like he just need that one roadblock was the key <laughs> it wasn't jerry it was that playbook <laughs> it, was, it was just that that one play that one play brought his interceptions you know down you know considerably because he had gotten in like it's just hard like for me it was hard to think that joe montano just wasn't he, he just wasn't good at everything you know and seeing like okay there were sort of like chinks in the armor that you know that they had to work out and you know and see this you know and understand like you know it took a while for him to be who he was and he had these ups and these downs and all of this because a lot of the stuff happened when I was really young and, you know, I wasn't really watching uh, football at the time, you know, in when he wins, the, when they win the Super Bowl in 84, I'm like six years old, five years old or six years old. So I wasn't really into football again. And honestly, the first Super Bowl that I remember is the 87 Super Bowl. That's the first one I can remember. Um, and that was Redskins Broncos. And then the following year, um, you know, is when I got a little lesson in Joe Montana um, in 88. So that's where, like, my memory of him starts, you know, and um, and Jerry Rice and all and all of that, just how good they were. Um, just so the that, fact that you have witnessed them, like you technically witnessed him. Like, I know it was super, super young, but like, do you vividly remember any of it? Or is it just kind of a fleeting, just like, oh yeah, I, I'm pretty, I, I somewhat remember that. Well, let me tell you something. I watched that 
Super Bowl, the second Super Bowl between the 49ers and the Bengals. Like, I watched it from beginning to end. That was, like, the second Super Bowl I'd watched from beginning to end. And when I tell you that for, like, the next three, four, five years, that in the living room, I replayed Joe Montana's touchdown pass to John Taylor so many times just pretending <laughs> that I was Joe and then I was throwing to myself who was also John Taylor catching that pass you know I I did that maybe a thousand times like in my living room just that moment I think is really what became the catalyst for me to start taking interest really in football you know like just overwhelmingly like this is this is what's great about this game. Uh, you know, and admittedly, you know, I had watched the Redskins watch the year before, and I was sort of loosely a Redskins fan. And then, like, my brothers became involved in, you know, uh, my upbringing. And so we'll say they coerced me in brotherly ways to, uh, like, the Eagles. And so... Um, I ended up, that's how I became an Eagles fan, but um, definitely the mem- the memories are there, seeing everything again, especially that Super Bowl in 88 against the Bengals. You know, I knew some of the history of the game where, you know, he pointed up and said, hey, look, there's John Candy. But I, I honestly, you know, it never came out really, like I never understood why he had that moment and why he did that moment. You know, and to understand, like, it was one of the offensive linemen who was really, really nervous. And he was, you know, like, you know, three minutes left in the Super Bowl. You know, you're down. You're on your own eight-yard line, you know, really nervous. And just sort of just to create that icebreaker and just get everybody's mind off of it and say, we're we're playing a game here, guys. You know, let's have some fun. And then boom, 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 right down the field and, you know, score the game-winning touchdown. You know, like amazing that's, yeah that that's all it took yeah and the thing you know think about it this way too because from if you look at super bowls from 84 or 80 yeah 84 to like 1998 super bowls weren't close they weren't they weren't close the the nfc was dominating and killing everybody so for well, me, two, yeah, two of Joe's were, or well, I don't know. I, I might be conflating it. Uh, the Broncos one was a blowout. Um, the Miami one was a blowout. Yeah, Miami was a blowout, and then Steve's obviously was like the biggest blowout until the and, Seahawks one. <laughs> and that first one against the Bengals, they got out to a big lead and just sort of held off against the Bengals. Yeah. Uh, in that one, so that was that wasn't a blowout, but I mean blowout like the other ones, but. They were pretty much dom- they were dominant enough in that game to just withhold uh, you know a steady comeback from the Bengals. Um, but I love I, mean, I love Chris Collinsworth by the way when he was just like guys we're not why are we celebrating Joe Montana is out in the field and he's he it's the two minute drill for Joe Montana where what are we doing like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Chris Collinsworth man like that was so that was so funny. Yeah, yeah, that is funny to think, you know, Chris Collinsworth was even on that team and, um, you know, but I think, you know, just you look at, like, he, Joe didn't even win an MVP until he 
you know, and like an actual season MVP until he won his fourth Super Bowl, like, you know, got got there. Like he the quarterbacks that he beat in the three Super Bowls before that were all the MVPs that year. Ken Anderson, Dan Marino, and Boomer Esiason had all won the MVP that year, and he slays them and you know he doesn't get his MVP until, you know, ten years, you know, over ten years into his career, you know? Like I found like that to be interesting. I could have, you know, I would have thought he would have won a, at least a season MVP before that, but um, surprisingly, no. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll let you wrap up the the your overalls, but like the I don't know, just that's something I want to like just parse over is just like how insanely up and down it really was. Like this really put it into context for me. Like that's something I took. A, that's one of like the. I'll say three things I really that hit me the hardest was like well the first thing like I just said Joe's my Joe's career like even at Notre Dame was just like highs and lows peaks and valleys I didn't realize like it dipped like when it dipped it dipped so damn far before yeah. going back up to a Super Bowl and then it dipped so far again like my god like especially between those first two Super Bowls like oh my god <laughs> yeah 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 and just to see sort of like the relationship he had with Bill Walsh and, you know, how that really wasn't, like, it really wasn't as hunky-dory as maybe we all thought it was, you know? And, you know, and so some of the, you know, some of the pressure that, you know, Bill put on Joe, um, you know, and just basically sometimes not having trust in him, you know? Not having complete trust in him, and which is amazing. It's crazy to think, you know. But you know that nobody tr- these people didn't trust Joe. Uh, but yeah, I mean well, that I, was that was more nuts, or unless I'm not remembering it right. Like Bill, like yeah, Bill put pressure on him. But um, the next, I, I'm terrible. I forgot the second coach's name. Seifert. Uh, Seifert. Yeah, George Seifer, dude. George Seifer was just, like, out with the old, in with the new. Like, I, it was amazing to me that, like, right right off the bat, like, I have Joe, I guess. Like, bro, you see how much he's won for you already? Like, <laughs> yeah, I get, I get Steve Young's the fresh, no pun intended, fresh young blood. But, like, my God, dude, show him, like, a little bit of respect. <laughs> like, yeah. The fact that he was acting like his hands were so tied with Joe Montana, like my God, that was that was wild to me. Like, yeah, and we're and all and we're all complaining about like the the second year of Trey Lance. Like, I get we want to like, I get I get where the fans want to like get ahead of this, but at the same time, it's like maybe we could learn something besides like make a decision like. Maybe we could actually take something from the patients because Joe and Steve, it's always astounding to me that they were on the same roster together for as long as they were. Joe didn't leave until 92. Like, Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there was distrust by Bill Walsh, you know, even before the second Super Bowl. Like, a little, you know, yes, you're, yes, you're right, a little bit. Well, there was, and it, I'm surprised they didn't mention it in the series because it's a very... It's a very uh, poignant part of 
uh, the 83 draft in Elway to Marino, which is done probably, it's not done by Peacock, it's done by ESPN on a 30 for 30. But, you know, just to make a quick mention of it, uh, Bill Walsh considered training Joe Montana to get the rights to John Elway. Like, that wasn't mentioned, you know, even, you know, you like, and so I was just like, see what, I, see what I mean by like this documentary just kind of glanced over some things. <laughs> yeah. Like I was just like, you're, you're creating a plot. You're creating this plot where Bill doesn't trust Joe Montana, but you didn't actually go into that and sort out, you know, get some sources on how deep it was that he was almost willing to trade Joe Montana for John Elway, you know, in 83, you know, but, you know, eventually he didn't, of course. Um, but um, there was consideration there. They got a call from the 49ers, you know. And But anyway, like, yeah, you're right. It did miss some of those points. But I did, overall, I like, you know, I like seeing a more, I like seeing a more human Joe Montana in, in this documentary. And that's where, that's sort of where, I sort of connected with it because growing up, Joe was basically, like I said, Jesus Christ incarnate on the football field, you know, and, you know, knowing that he had like all these hearing how he had all these up and downs, even until like the first game, like I actually watch him in and I'm just like, wow, they he went through a lot, you know, just to get where he was and to be the guy that he was. And I didn't, I always thought like, you know, I always thought he got drafted in Notre Dame. He, I knew he won a college champion, you know, a, a national championship there. So he got drafted in the third round, and I, I just always thought like it was like this straight ascension, you know, all the way up until you know the the fourth Super Bowl. Like I, it just it was just straight up. There's no dips and valleys. But you're right. Like there was, there were so many and. Like, I just learning about that because, you know, I remember Joe. I remember I saw him play, like, just knowing, like, this all actually happened, you know. It was, yeah. I <laughs> just to, I, I do want to fill in because I, I really like the way that they laid out how the story went. Um, so, like, the first episode, obviously, like, the early life growing up in Pennsylvania, and then the, the turmoil of, uh, well, like high school, like he had to, he, he was truly conflicted between basketball and football. And then he goes to football and it's a crash course. He's barely starting at Notre Dame, then falls upwards into winning the national championship. And then the episode ends with the draft. Then the second episode is a little bit of early struggles being the backup in San Francisco, but then he finds success. He finds his way on the field, and it ends with the catch. It does the hang. The cliffhanger is going to the Super Bowl in Detroit, and then Super Bowl or then episode three. It just says they win the Super Bowl, and it's a big glorious moment. But then a tumultuous couple years, like they like free fall, uh, but then find a way to pick themselves back up, and they win Super Bowl nineteen. But then, uh, of course, uh. He goes and gets episode four. He starts showing his inj- his proneness for getting injured. Uh, Steve and Joe, the rivalry begins. That's all I named episode four. Uh, and then episode five, 
They're back on top. Super Bowl 23, 24. It's the peak. Joe has reestablished that he is the man. And this is like where his legacy is cemented. But then, of course, uh, episode six, we all know where it's going. He's kind of getting they're trying to shoot Steve Young in and he wants to go to Kansas City. I didn't realize that they were that adamant about not trading him. And then the awkward position that they put Dallas or that they put Clark in. Uh, I always want to call him Dallas because I'm in Indy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, the awkward that awkward position that they put Dwight Clark right. in was yeah. that was heartbreaking to watch. Like, yeah. um, but then, of course, he gets to Kansas City. Uh, I didn't know that hilarious coincidence that he and Steve both lost conference championships in the same year in 94. <laughs> I thought that I thought that was hilarious. Uh, yeah. Dallas and um, Buffalo or or whoever. Buffalo. Or, yeah, the, Buffalo was the team that went. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, like I love the way it laid out the story like that. I think it found the way that they did it. I think they found natural cutoffs. So. The way it's segmented, I, do, I that's all I'm trying to say is I really compliment on the the, the series on that. Um, but of those three things that like I really took away from this, like how much struggle he had, especially like in the the first episode, like really getting the the context of just how he wasn't that natural prodigy like Burrow or Manning or. Uh, God, you named hundreds of players like that was really like mm-hmm. episode one might be my favorite episode, honestly, if not the la- if if not the last one, just because the last one is just so heartbreaking to watch, like just to, how unceremoniously it all came to an end. Like, um, I know we did you have a did you have a favorite episode before I ask the other question I want to ask? I mean, I think what it's definitely. One of the first episodes, I believe, uh, or maybe the like the middle ones for me were really where like they kind of went out of contention because they kind of it wanted to cover so much, but you kind of got diminished returns because they wanted to cover so much and they just kind of like the drug thing that really bothered me that the drug thing took less than 10 minutes of, uh, I I don't even remember which episode. I think it was episode three or four. Yeah. Do you remember that being a big deal? (laughs) No, I don't remember. Cause like, you know, like, you know, we're not watching an NFL that, you know, we watch today, you know, like where there's constant reporting from everybody, uh, on the NFL, like back then, it was ESPN and Sports Center, and basically, like when all that was going down, I mean, I was probably someplace else, you know, not watching Sports Center or whatever. It was uh, the it was the fourth one. It was I, I finally found it. It was the fourth one because it started out with Billichek, Bill Billichek, <laughs> talking about. Um, playing San Francisco and how we were the big rivals with them. And then after he gets knocked out of that game and then it talked about the drug thing, but then, but then, okay, he was accused of doing drugs, whatever. And then after that, the rest of the episode is, uh, his big injury in 85, uh, with his back. And then he had a neck and head injury in 86. And then 87, uh, was like the real first taste of like, okay, Steve might actually take his job. Yeah, yeah. I think my favorite episode 
probably was the second episode because, you know, me being a Philly fan, Joe didn't like the Dallas Cowboys and like trash talking them on the field, you know, and just, you know, I think, you know, he made it a point to say Dallas is not America's team. Um, that's a very... That iconic arms up pose. Oh, my God. Yeah, and then, you know, he tells, what's his name, you know, Randy Wright. Randy White, respect that mother effer. You know, I didn't even know you were here. You know, like, you know, I didn't even know you were here. It's been so long and you finally got me. You know, just that, like, you know, that I think that's, you know, um, you know, just learning the history of, like, that game and, you know, his trash talk on the Cowboys and like, you know, that was, uh, that was really fun for me. Um, you know, so I, you know, I think that would be my favorite episode. Plus that one had, um, you know, where he admitted that he thought he was prepared, but he admittedly was not prepared for the NFL. Um, you know, it talked about who was his first TD catch, which is Bob Brewer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that was, you know, um, you know, and it talked about sort of like the setup, you know, like the setup in San Francisco and what was going on at the time, um, and how the 81 season basically sort of turned around the city like the city was dealing with you know the assassination of their mayor uh they were financially bankrupt you know and you know here comes bill walsh joe montana to come lift the city's hopes and lift the lift the city up out of the ashes um with the san francisco 49ers and so uh, you know so the path that they the director took if like showing like you know hey, you know, this is what San Francisco was like before the 49ers became a dynasty, you know, and how the 49ers basically bringing San Francisco out of the ashes was, you know, they have some responsibility in that. Um, so I thought, you know, that was cool. You know, I, I give massive kudos to episode two for that. Like, I was just like glancing at my notes and yeah, you're right. Like, that was another really compelling part of the the series as a whole was how well um how well it really like showed i because i i i've seen milk i've seen the movie about harvey milk being assassinated but like everything else about like the economic turmoil that the city was in and the fact that this was the first championship period like the giants hadn't won anything uh golden state hadn't won anything the if you count the Raiders, or no, were the Raiders in L.A.? At, they back, were, yeah. Well, they they might have been. Or they wouldn't they have were, been in Oakland yet, would they? They were in Oakland in 80. I know that much. I don't think they moved to L.A. until, like, 81 or 82. Okay. Uh, because when they won their last Super Bowl, which was 83, they were the L.A. Raiders then. So Okay, between, so, L- so L.A. So between 1980 and 1983, uh, they had moved from Oakland um, uh, to L.A. The Raiders. So okay, so well, it's regard. I just regardless, the Raiders hadn't brought anything. They just I didn't I did not know that at all. That Sanford, this was the first championship that San Francisco had ever. 
Well, and... yeah, San Francisco. Oakland had championships, but San Francisco. I, I misspoke. I was speaking for the Bay Area when that was very much incorrect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, yes. yeah, definitely. San Francisco hadn't won anything to this yeah. point. You know, and that and, that was that was amazing. I, I I did not know that, but and you've seen and you've witnessed this too. Well, maybe not to the same extent. I don't think Philly was a. I don't think Philly was a <laughs> borderline dystopian film when uh, you guys won. But yeah, I, re- I remember what it was like when indianapolis when peyton finally brought indianapolis a a super bowl championship and it was it really is like that's the power of sports though like reaching the mountaintop like not just not just like what happened in cleveland when they won their first game in literally two damn years (laughs) (laughs) uh getting to the mountaintop especially like for their situation like indy indy's been fine i mean relatively speaking but i've seen what what that can do and to be there when they finally win and it is a mo- that moment for them they witnessed San Francisco's first professional championship that's that's unbelievable I, to, yeah that specific type like you don't get that specific type of feeling like once in a generation like the, the next one I could think of is is if Cleveland or Detroit finally wins the Super Bowl. Like, <laughs> and yeah. my God, that that had to have been just a truly unbelievable feeling. Well, yeah, I can I can relate to 49ers fans who basically grew up, you know, before that and just living in misery. You know, they had a choke history. You know, they you know a couple of years before they blew an 11 point lead in the playoffs. You know, and you know that I can relate to them. I know what that's like. I know what it's like, you know, to be a fan of a team for almost thirty years and watch them consistently, and just finally watching them reach over the hump. Like I can relate to that. Now you're right. Philadelphia wasn't, you know, an economic mess with a mayor assassination, but you know, we do have a lot of Republicans and a lot of Democrats who live in Pennsylvania, who are all throughout that area. And, you know, and, you know, they, you know, we always, we always disagree on a lot of things, even the way the Eagles should be run. But you know what, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, that was a time when Eagles fans were just like, hey, let's celebrate, you know, and it brought everybody together, at least for, you know, a year at least until once again we were back in the same, you know, Carson, Nick Foles, you know, all that. But, uh, right. <laughs> you know, so like I can feel, I know what, I know what they felt like, you know, like I can say, like, I know what they felt like to watch their team win their first Super Bowl and get onto the top of the mountain, um, you know, and, so, you know, I mean, Philadelphia did have championships before that, though. I can't, you know, I can't say it was like a whole, like the city had been deprived because they won, the Phillies won a World Series in 08. Um, but I do, I do know that there were a lot of people, including me, my brother, brother-in-laws, who had spent their lives watching the team and never seeing a championship and thinking, probably won't happen in our lifetime, you know, just won't, you know, we have Philly things and Philly, you know, things happen in Philly and 
you know, they always happen right before the playoffs. And so, but when they finally got there, it was one of the most amazing things that I've ever felt in my life. I, you know, I've never like the Phillies winning the world series was great, you know, but I, you know, baseball is really my second sport. Football is really my first sport. And so, I mean, I mean, the, I cried like a baby. I literally cried like a baby. <laughs> like, like oh, I, I believe it. Like I, I, I shed tears just after this last conference loss. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, the, the thing about it is, I don't think I've ever shed tears in a loss. I've been hurt, but I've never shed tears. I've been pissed, you know. Never shed the tears for a loss, but you know, I remember. You know, I remember the 04 season with the Eagles when they made it to the Super Bowl. Like, and I remember the game that they played to get there, the 04 NFC Championship game against Michael Vick. And just remembering how that was one of the biggest days of my lives in, in sports, you know, and watching like just the five minute cut, you know, uh, you know, with YouTube's uh, beautiful day. You know, the Eagles, you know, Eagles hitting, you know, winning the game, all the highlights from it. Like that would, would bring a little tear to my eye, you know, because I that was like, you know, for 13 years, you know, that was really the happiest moment I ever had being an Eagles fan, you know. Right. So but San Francisco fans at this point in time where they were at, I can definitely relate and know what that's like. Um, and, you know. I know, you know, there were a lot of fans who, and even I remember in episode three, it opens up, you know, very early opening up in three, there's like a, well, I don't know, a six or seven year old kid going, he'd been waiting 1500 years for a championship, you know, <laughs> like, like, so, you know, that wasn't him saying that that was probably his dad or his mom or whoever he loved rooting for the, you know, like. I've been waiting so long for this 1500 years. It's probably the feeling that, you know, his dad or his mom had yeah. uh, for the team. And so they just came out and this little, little six year old kid. They're like, how long have you been waiting for a championship? 1500 years. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was oh just gosh. like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, so the, before the next thing I wanted to, cause look at my notes, uh, the next thing I wanted to, before we get to that next thing, uh, we're just about at 35 minutes, James. Uh, let's take a moment to remind everybody about our sponsor. All right, guys. If you're in the Melbourne, Florida area, reach out to Ali Catino at Madison Allied Real Estate, 321-698-4692. When I was shopping for a home in the Rockledge, Florida area, I told Ali how much I wanted to pay for a house. And she respected my price range and did not try to persuade me to go above my budget. She's a great realtor that will get you into a house you love at a price you can afford. That's Ali Catino at Madison Allied Real Estate, 321-698-4692. That's 321-698-4692. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, speaking of episode three, it ties into that. Um, it was... After they lost to Washington in the NFC Championship game, the episode decides then to uh, 
really lean into the human interest side. It, it leans back into like the more human interest off the field kind of stuff, uh, but ends up tying it to the field because one, I didn't know that's how he met uh, his his wife. Um, and sorry, you might hear my my new little baby cat having a little fit over there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, I didn't realize he met his wife on a commercial shoot for, uh, <laughs> Gillette, which I thought was really funny. Yeah. Um, but then all the, I just, I don't know, something about just how cute it was. Like maybe it was m- emotional manipulation and I'm just cynical, but, um, I thought it was really cool that, um, they found a way to, um, have her talk to him literally on the side of the field through the phone. Like, yeah. <laughs> how the hell did you pull that off? And he did it regularly from what the movie said. Like, yeah, like he was how always did that talking. happen? Yeah, he, I, you know, the phone on the sideline, you know, like he figured out, he wanted to see if it dialed out. So he pressed nine. He's like, oh, I got a dial tone and calls his, calls that his was, wife. Yeah. That was so sweet though. That like the fact that, she was able to contribute and like how he got the guy to laugh about Chris Farley during the Super Bowl. Like the talking about John Candy John or John, Candy. John Candy. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> but the way that she could be that for him and never let any specific game, like it could, it, it recalibrated him to Joe cool again. And then, Oh, I've been here before. Thanks babe. Hang up the phone. And then, Game-winning drive, two-minute warning again. Like, just go back <laughs> to his bread and butter. I just, uh, and the, and they're still together, and they have uh, the two sons and the two daughters, or the, just the four kids, right? Uh, four kids, two sons, two daughters, yeah. Yeah, and my God, by the way, the sons look spitting images of him. Yeah, they even act like him. <laughs> they talk like him. It's like they got the same mannerisms as him. Like, it's like, like they're like exact replicas, except that they're not, you know, the goats, you know, of, of football. But they, right. they had their moment. In, they had their moments in college ball, though. That was kind of cool in the last episode to see that. But I don't know, just something about that. Like, I don't want to be so cynical and just like, like, oh, they weren't that perfect. But like, I don't know the 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 fact that they're still together and oh yeah, yeah I don't know that's... just something about that may, that kind of review, uh, takes that off me and it's just like you know what that's that was really cool to highlight that and... yeah especially seeing him dressed as Santa for his granddaughter you know like that was that was sweet you know I think well all he, of he us... do you remember a couple of years ago he actually fought off somebody trying to break into his home while the grandkids were over. Oh, no, I never heard that story, no. Oh, uh, remind me, I'll send you that. It happened at, uh, oh, man, probably at least five years ago. It was before the pandemic, but, um, but no, I just, I don't know if you had, like, I just wanted to hear your two cents on that, because I thought that was a really sweet storyline to to follow for a little bit in the third episode, like, among the other things that it ended up covering, too, but I I don't know. That was just really, really sweet that uh, in the face of just, like, you just lost this this really big game, not the biggest game of his career, but like it was another chance to get to the Super Bowl. It was right there, but then he finds his wife and then she gets to be there the rest of the ride. And it ended up being the fairy tale ending. I just, I don't know. Something like that just makes me really, it made me really happy watching that, <laughs> especially yeah. after this off season I've been reading. I, I literally watched a watch mojo video about like NFL stars. You don't want your daughter to date and it. I'm not going to name drop them here, but like watching that and just, You've you've heard the stories too about like some players like uh, uh, McNair. Yeah. I'll just leave McNair there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I've heard the stories, and 
that's that is common, you know, among players. And you know, Bill Burr sort of made an argument for some of them, but at this, you know, at the same time, it's like, dude, come on, you know, you got thirteen kids and you know whatever, but. Joe doesn't seem like. <laughs> was that know, about a specific player playing right now, or was that about? Um, or screw it. Was that about Cromartie? <laughs> no, I don't think that was about Cromartie. I, Travis Henry was his name. Not no, not. What was his name? He played for the Titans. He was a running back. It wasn't Derrick Henry. It was another running back. It was not CJ. Not CJ Two K. Right. No, it was before him. I think too. Like I had him in fantasy one year. I can't think of who it is now, but okay. Well, you said thirteen kids, so I thought it was Antonio Cromartie. <laughs> well, maybe I mean maybe it was nine from like five different mothers, but you oh, know, <laughs> yeah, it's the kind of stuff that you know, you know, guys do, and yeah. even even on even I will I will say this even on my own Eagles team, like we're not immune to that. Like I don't know if you heard the story about Fletcher Cox. He he got sued. For, because he had an affair in North with a North Carolina woman. Oh God, no! I didn't know so, that about Fletcher. So in North Carolina, it's illegal to commit adultery. It's actually a misdemeanor. Uh, what? And in civil court, if you have an affair with somebody, your spouse can sue that person, especially if it's another man, for civil damages. No and, kidding. Yes, yes. It's actually a law in North Carolina that it's illegal to commit adultery. It's probably, I think it's the only state that has that. And in, ci- in civil proceedings, you know, in divorce proceedings and things like that, you can, as a spouse, request civil damages from your other spouse that you're getting divorced from or the person who they had the affair with. Huh. I it's, didn't. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, it was, it was news on, you know, it got reported on a little bit, but it wasn't, like, huge news. But it happened to Fletcher Cox. Fletcher Cox. Jesus. Like, <laughs> and, you know, I he had... picked heard, the wrong state to do that in. <laughs> well, he did, the thing about it was she, was, she flew up to Pennsylvania. So even because she was married and from North Carolina, it was still, like, he couldn't be charged with a crime. She could have been, but the civil damages still went to him because, you know, she was married. Now, I don't know what the settlement or anything like that was, but basically probably how it went down is she flew up to Philadelphia, saw him. They had a little thing, you know, told her husband. And then the next thing you know, he's like, I think I know that guy. And all of a sudden, like, oh, we can get something here, you know. And so, you know, that's sort of probably how that played out. But I have her stories mm-hmm. about Fletcher Cox. I won't say from who, um, but, you know, I do know people in the city and I've heard stories about Fletcher Cox. Uh, so Jesus. <laughs> so, um, but going back to Joe, seeing that the fact that he's been married now, what, 36 years and he, you know, him and his wife, you yeah. know, their relationship and the sweetness of it, sweetness of it all. And, you know, you know, it's, it's good to see. It really is good to see, you know, especially, you know, 
you know, in those types of situations. So right. Um, just trying to parse through my notes here again, real quick. I mean, we've. Uh, oh my God, we're, we could spend literally like ten hours breaking down well, this documentary. Just, well, just so you know, I told I told my wife that you know this could be a two hour show again. So. Oh, I I can't go that long. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, I guess the uh, I mean. One silly thing, I loved how uh, <laughs> I loved the relationship that Huey Lewis had with the uh, with the team. I just thought that was kind of entertaining. I thought, was, I thought that was cool too. And the video, I didn't, know, I didn't know they were on the. I didn't know they were on uh, "Work It" or uh, whatever the name of that song is that that hit single they had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you know that? I did not know that. No, I did not know that that was the 49ers on on that track. Oh my so, gosh! Yeah. That was so wild. Um, yeah, seeing Joe get up in front of like the other 49ers at the ring ceremony and trying to sing like a cappella or something <laughs> like that, you know. Um, yes, he was <laughs> <You> know, so nervous. <laughs> so nervous, like you know, here's Joe Montana, you know, two minute, two minute, you know, warning, Super Bowl, you know, cool under pressure, uh, gets up and is scared to sing in front of his buddies, pretty much, you know. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um uh, I guess um to try and keep this in the in the reasonable time length. I guess the the last thing I I feel like we have to address um is the third thing that I thought was really um some of the hardest part of the documentary to watch too. Like I was actually like really like I was pretty moved honestly at the end with um I mentioned Dwight before earlier at the top of this. Um, just imagine, like, we see early on, they hit it off immediately. They are best friends. It translates onto the field. They have the catch. They have multiple rings together. Dwight retires earlier, and he becomes an executive, which, I mean, somebody in his position with the team, like, yeah, why not? Like, why not bring him on? Like, keep him in-house. Right. But... I didn't know any of that story where the ownership basically made him like they just used him as a emo emotional manipulation to try and get Joe to not go to Kansas City and it almost ruining their friendship or at least it did for what I don't remember Joe said it was like oh so long yeah uh, multiple years yeah. And then we fortunately they got to interview Dwight before he passed away uh, or there was interviews with Dwight before he passed away. Uh, yeah. I just my god, I something that's the a story like that. I mean, I I mean, it's I can't even imagine like in a professional setting like that where you have to put your personal relationship at stake like that for the profession and it Yeah. I don't know. I was just. What was your take on that in the last episode? That was that was wrenching for me. Well, it it you know it's sad to think, but you know I I thought about the words that Joe said. You know, at Dwight's funeral, like the the little part that they had of him talking about Dwight at the funeral, and how you know Joe just sort of took that moment where. People are grieving and, you know, people are sad that Dwight is gone and brings out, you know, the 
you know, you know, they don't call it the throw. They call it the catch, you know, <laughs> like, you know, what Dwight would say to them. God, and, that was that was so funny. And just, you know, sort of lighten the moon over that. And, you know, their friendships so, are passing. That is it, that's so out. Oh, that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I but no, I, I just, I don't know. I was just particularly moved by that. And, um, cause like really like, yeah, he's got a friendship with Steve Young now. And like, it's just the spirit of competition, but like, I don't know. I, I don't know who I feel worse for Dwight being put in that position or Joe having to like, well, defend himself. It's the business. And with that much on the line, like at the time, like, and how just awkward it had been for at that point, like six years, like young yeah. in Montana, young in Montana, like your legacy on the line and you want to control where you go. You, he wanted to go to Kansas city. And the fact that the, the Bar the, the Bartolos are the one executive they kept interviewing, I forgot his name, but, um, the guy that looked like a straight up Italian mobster, like, <laughs> <laughs> I swear yeah. he walked off the good, the good fella set. <laughs> But um, but no, I just I don't know. I just wanted to hear your take on that because I was that was up there. Like that's why it's kind of like the first and the last ones are like tied for me for the best episode because I didn't know the whole context of him leaving, and then I didn't know the whole context of him uh, just coming up. But but no, just uh, I don't know. It was just that, and then the whole tension with bill and bill almost retiring too like i i didn't know bill almost threw in the towel after a super bowl like <laughs> well well after did. after the slump they went through well the slump they went through yeah but when they won the third super bowl he retired from the 49ers and then he went to stanford with the coach stanford yeah at least he went out like a champ though instead of out in the just the darkest before the light like isn't that what they say like it's darkest right before sunrise like at least he didn't Whatever compelled him to stay, I'm glad it did. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I think, I think 49ers are thankful that he stayed. Um, I was, you know, I wanted one thing I wanted to talk about, you know, because you do see Steve Young yeah. in this documentary quite a lot. And in episode five, I don't know if you remember or heard him say this, but he said of the '88 NFC Championship game that the only guy that he would pick or anybody should pick would be Joe Montana to beat the bears in 88 in the 88 NFC championship game. Like uh, I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Steve young, you know, competitive himself saying that he would pick Joe Montana basically over himself to play that game in the 88 NFC championship game. So, um, you know, take that for what you will, but you know, I thought it was interesting because, you know, I, you know, Young spent most of his career, you know, trying to get the monkey of Joe Montana off his back, which he eventually does, but, um, and he won more MVPs too, or did he tie with just one? I thought I didn't Steve win two. I'm not sure if Steve won two MVPs or not. I don't remember. I know. Steve, for the longest time, had, like, the high... I think he even still does have the highest career quarterback rating of all time, or he has one of the highest QB ratings of all time. I'll say, I thought Drew Brees got that record. Well, yeah, yeah he, he got two MVPs. 92 two MVPs? 
Yeah, I know Steve Young had, you know, he had like a season QB rating. Like his season QB rating was one of the best, and his career QB ratings were, was one of the best. Um, you oh, know. Uh, or no, he had five five completion percentage and five passer rating leaders just for the year. It's not saying the overall NFL record, but uh, I was just going to reference Joe because he... Oh, no, they're tied at two, 89 and 90 and 92 and 94. So they each have two MVPs. So they tied there. Okay. Okay. But yeah, that, Jesus Christ, like <laughs> you've had both those court. It's, that's some, that's really something like I, I, I really had been hoping for a while to, um, to get, uh, cause I have this book, the best arrivals I've glanced over and I, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not a, I'm not a uh what do you call it uh i'm a recreational reader i've glanced over it but like i've wanted a like at 30 for 30 or something like this documentary that really like highlighted um and really brought to life the way only film can do like just how awkward that had to have been for all those years (laughs) just and this really was just oh not perfect not perfect some of the stuff not about them like, like I keep harping the drug thing, I thought kind of got glanced over. And I think like a couple times, like they wasted a little bit. Like, yeah, it was kind of funny watching them throw the football on top of the goalpost. But it was just like, OK, like, but just little sprinklings of just random stuff here and there. It doesn't it doesn't at all ruin this series at all. I I still give this four out of five stars. But um, but no, there's there's more compelling sports documentaries I've seen. I'm just saying this as objectively as I can. But no, to have a definitive Joe Montana documentary, I mean, no, this is this is pretty damn good, in my opinion. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely was good. And like I said, the overall take for me was, you know, understanding that, you know, Joe had to work through a lot more than what I ever thought or imagined, you know, because when I, my memory of Joe Montana was basically he was just, you know, automatically good at football and, you know, never had, like, some of these peaks, these valleys that he went through. Um, and, and he so was made that, of glass, too. <laughs> yeah, he was made of glass. I didn't realize he got injured that damn much. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, the thing about it was I was watching that that 19, what was it, 1990 NFC Championship. I remember watching that game. When he got, or was that when he got annihilated by, um, not Taylor, but the other guy? Was it Pepper Johnson or Leonard Marshall or something like that? Um, yeah, he was evading, uh, if it was the Giants, if I have the opponent right, if it was the Giants, he was evading Taylor and then he got blindsided by somebody else. Yeah, that's the game. I remember watching that hit and thinking, oh my gosh, is he ever, is he going to get up you know he looked like he died raw footage he looked like he died (laughs) he looked like he died i was just like because joe montana was like 150 pounds and that lineman looked like he was almost 300 pounds just crushing him in the back said it was a clean hit like i i think it was i think you'd agree it was and joe even said it was it was it was a perfect blindside hit it was a clean hit. I mean, he had the ball in his hand, and he was about to throw. There's, you can't say he had that Jerry that... wide open. It, it would have been like a what? I don't even know how long, like a sixty-plus yard touchdown. Yeah, I mean, he had him, but like he just, he just got blindsided and crushed. And I was just like, 
Yeah, I remember watching that game thinking, oh my gosh, did did he kill him? Because it was such a hard hit. They replayed it, and you know, and he's just like, you know, like just in the back, he looks like he got oh my gosh. I was just like so worried about him. I remember thinking, like, is he gonna be okay? You know? Well, luckily and, he just tore his shoulder labrum or broke it or broke or luckily it was just in his shoulder, and he said that like it wasn't the hit that hurt, it was the landing on the ground that hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, when you have like an almost 300 pound guy, you know, slamming you to the coming down on you like that, you know, I'm not surprised that, you know, he got messed up as bad as he did from that. But well, he suffered so many injuries like I, yeah, I've, I, yeah, I, I mean, I wrote them all. I won't read the whole laundry list, but like he had a laundry list of injuries, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think. Yeah, I think it was interesting to see that Joe was human, you know, and that, you know, he he just wasn't like this, you know, football god like you know that I had in my head. He's still the goat, though. I think, like, you know, I mean, to be fair, like, you know, never, you know, there was no cheating scandal, nothing like that, nothing that he had to go through. Uh, well, he got out of the drug scandal. <laughs> he got out of the drug scandal, but there was no cheating scandal. No, you know, never. and you know, and you know, I think maybe what does it for me, to, you know, you know, the cheating scandals. But then, you know, he, you know, there's a record that he has that, you know, you know that the whole team has that probably will never ever be seen again which is 18 straight road games uh, in a row. Like, I was surprised that wasn't mentioned, but um, I, I don't throw the football on. We, we had to have screen time for the footballs on top of the goalposts. <laughs> I know. I'm like, you couldn't, you couldn't have talked about how, like, you know, because the Eagles game was one of those games, if I remember correctly, or like that was the catalyst, you know, for it. But they make no mention of it, and that's – a historic record that probably will never be matched ever again. You know, 18 straight road games. Like, like you think about like, that's a course of like, what, two, two years. They didn't lose on the road. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah. Two, two seasons. And then the first two road games of the third season. Yeah. So over two seasons, they didn't lose on the road, not at home on the road you know like amazing you know they sort of they they started like you know they just hit the tip of that because they were like you know DeBartolo one of the planes went down they got a different plane and you know they won they crushed it in that game and then you know you know, they were all like, you know, DC 10, DC 10. And like, saying yes. like that, that was the reason why they were so good that game on the road, you know, <laughs> like, but they don't, they didn't talk about that streak, like at all. They didn't mention it. And I don't think, I don't think you should, you should tell the story of Joe Montana without putting that in there. You need to put that in there. That 18 straight road games, mm-hmm. hey, didn't lose a single one. You know, and he wasn't just the comeback king. He wasn't just the comeback king. No, Uh, I do. I do like too, like how 
um, how he was able to expose the 46 defense, you know, too, as well. Like the history of the 46 defense. And there are a lot of people in Philadelphia who still want Buddy Ryan to be their head coach. Like they want a Buddy Ryan type head coach, a defense that, you know, Buddy Ryan had, da, 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 da. And while they were good defenses, guess what? They were always being beat by good passing teams because, you know, people like Joe Montana could find, could read a defense before, you even hiked the ball. So, you know, so, you know, I, I'd like that, you know, it's sort of, you know, brought to reality of the 46 defense because um, once the league caught on to the 46 defense, it became a lot easier to, uh, to get by once they figured out, Hey, just drop three steps, read the, read the defense, drop three steps, boom, get it out quick. That'll beat them. Yeah. You know? And, and he he needed and he needed the, or I don't know if he needed the quick release, but I liked also uh, one one last thing that I thought was funny was uh, that he even admitted that he threw uh, uh, accurate ducks. What was the phrase that he used? Oh oh, a wobble, uh, tight wobbles, tight, wobble, tight wobbles. Yeah, that was. And really that too, the fact that his arm strength wasn't really that good either. Like it was tight wobbles and he really struggled to throw further than like 30 yards. Like he could throw kind of deep, but like the force behind it and the like, or the velocity and the air height, like, no, he really didn't have the strongest arm and it wasn't a perfect, beautiful spiral every time. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember, I remember somebody saying, about Joe Montana that most people are throwing darts at balloons where Joe was throwing balloons at darts, you know, that's a perfect way to, <laughs> that's, that really got me. That was funny. <laughs> throwing yeah. balloons at darts. I love it. Yeah. Really, like a lot of the highlights they show in the movie. Yeah. You see that thing like wobbling like crazy. Like, yeah, but but no, it was kind of it was kind of cool to see he had the humility about that too. Like, no, I didn't have the strongest arm, but if you're the guy I'm throwing it to, it's gonna get to your arms. It's up to you to catch it or drop it. Like, it will get to you. It won't look pretty though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think you know for him it was all about being able to read a defense and know where to go with the ball and to get it out there, you know, before the defender gets there. And that that was proof in Kansas City when he goes to the Kansas City. And I forget the receiver's name. He's like, I'm running this route. I ran this out a hundred times and, you know, I'm running it, you know, and it's a hook route and I'm about to make my break and the ball hits me in the head, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like, that never happened to me before. And he was like, oh my gosh, what did we do? Did we just get, you know, like the worst quarterback in the world? He just threw the ball at my head. And then, you know, and he's like, he's like, bro, Joe brought me aside. He's like, He's like, listen, you got to you got to be aware to turn your head around quicker than that, because I've already read the defense. And if I'm coming to you, I'm coming to you. I'm going to throw it whether you're looking or not. So you got to make sure your head gets around quicker and you turn the look at the ball before you get to your break, because um, I'm going to be throwing it. And it's going to be out to you. So, right. um, you know, and so that's where Joe Montana could be successful because his anticipation he, was so good. His anticipation, the fact that he was accurate too, like he's just, you know, completely accurate on his on his passes. Like 
I mean, you know, he was proof that you don't need a laser rocket arm, you know, with a tight spiral to be successful in the league. Like, you know, you can be a little off, but if your timing's right, if your accuracy's right, and you can read a defense, it doesn't matter if you have a strong arm or not. You can be successful in the league. Absolutely. And I think with that, we've had an hour on this. We could go long, much longer, but... Um, <laughs> Keeping this keeping this tight for you guys. Um, we don't have a lot of news to, to talk about. Um, I'll just go ahead and say it here. Congrats. We've had two championships since we talked last. Congrats to Golden State Warriors, rep in California. Steph Curry wins his fourth ring. Steve Kerr wins his, God, like ninth ring. Like, <laughs> uh, congrats to Golden State. And then... Begrudgingly, out of good faith and sportsmanship, congrats to the Colorado Avalanche for winning the Stanley Cup. Kroenke now has a Stanley Cup and a Lombardi trophy in the same calendar year. I hate saying that out loud, but... (laughs) um, And they beat the Tampa Bay Lightning, which, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I'm not a fan, quote-unquote, but I, having ties to Florida as much as I do, that bummed me out that they didn't get a three-peat, but... Uh, yeah, uh, the other bit of news, James, uh, I'll let you take the lead on, because we had, uh, a little bit of, uh, Congress going on since we were on last, uh, some Congress action, uh, so, what yeah, happened? so listen, guys, I know there wasn't a lot of interest in this, because I was watching with maybe about a thousand other people, because YouTube tells you how many people are watching, so I was maybe watching with a thousand other people, and a lot of those people were probably journalists and not really American citizens who, you know, worry about this type of thing for whatever reason. You know, uh, I guess, yeah, record high inflation, gas prices, you know, baby food, you know, formula shortages. That's got everybody concerned. My thing is sexual harassment should be bipartisan. And... You know, the critics of the hearing, you know, who were there, who were questioning Roger Goodell, those critics were saying that Daniel Snyder um, has suffered consequences for his actions um, and that this didn't need to be done. And to those critics, I will, you know, and to the commissioner who says that this is the... The $10 million fine is unprecedented in football. I will say it's unprecedented in this matter. If Dan or I did one-tenth of what Daniel Snyder would did, we wouldn't have a job. We wouldn't be allowed to walk into the same workplace as that guy, be any part of the organization whatsoever, be part of the NFL, be part of the team, be part of anything. If we did one-tenth of what Daniel Snyder had done, there were 150 women who came about and testified and said what the workplace environment was like. $10 million? Guess what? That's like $100 to anybody who makes $40,000 a year. Like, that, it's $100. It's, a speeding, it's not even a speeding ticket. That's how much $10 million is to Daniel Snyder. So it was unprecedented because... Yeah, he's still he's still in charge of the commanders. Maybe not day to day operations, but guess what? He's still there. He still owns. He still he can 
he can do other operations, you know, when it doesn't have to deal with day-to-day. He can do other operations. And guess what? He's going to come back. Like, the timetable for his penalty is just, you know, some time. It's not forever, okay? So tell me, what has this man learned from a $10 million fine? Like, has he learned anything? Is he going to do anything? And then again, also, it was brought about as to what the workplace environment is like now. And, you know, they're getting, you know, the NFL is reporting to Congress that, yes, it's it's better now. But here's the thing. They only have to do semi-annual reports until 2023. Semi-annual. It's 2022, which means there's only going to be two more reports that come out, and then that's it. The commanders don't have to prove anything. You know, you know, earmuffs, one, two, three earmuffs. They don't have to prove shit after two years. You know, I mean, if I'm doing this, they do two decades of this. They're going to have to provide two decades worth of, you know, employee surveys. Two years. That's ridiculous. Like, so I'm sorry. Daniel Snyder did not. I don't think has learned from his consequences or will learn. And he has learned anything. I mean, he didn't want to even appear before Congress. He was in France where there's no extradition laws, right? So that, you know, even if Congress does subpoena him, guess what? France isn't going to send him back. So what's going to happen? The subpoena is going to expire. He's going to come back. Everything's going to be hunky-dory. And the commanders are still going to have him. But, you know, and it, you know, it's sad that, not enough people care about this or really care about this. You know, um, you know, women rights are going all over the place in this country, and I don't want to talk about that or make that political. But, you know, as far as what happened in Dan Snyder's watch, women should be free from that. Men, the men who partake in that type of thing need to suffer real consequences. You know, and people who do it in a high position like Dan Snyder need to pay the consequences of basically being ha- being relieved of their duties completely and out of whatever it is they're doing. Because once again, if it's me or Dan or any one of you listeners, because, you know, our listeners aren't rich billionaires, none of them are. If that happened, if you did one-tenth of what he did, we're talking 15 you know, counts of sexual harassment. Do you really think any one of us would still have our jobs, would still be able to work for that company or have anything to do with that organization? No, we wouldn't. We'd be gone, we'd be out the door, and we'd have to find another place to make a living. So that's my criticism. Um, That's my pushback to the congressional hearings and some of the things that were said. You know, I tweeted about some of it, but, you know, it was, it's sad that, that somebody this high up just can get away with something like this. And I'm sorry, it may offend people or whatever, but, you know, you know, just understand I, my wife has been through a lot and she has been through similar things that Dan Snyder did to these women, okay? Now, if you can't get on board, just think about the women in your life, your mom, your daughter, your sister, your aunt, all those people, 
Think about what Dan Snyder was doing to these women and think about happening it to one of them. Why aren't we sticking up for them? Why isn't there more people sticking up for them? And that's just where I'm at. But, you know, I don't, I could go on for this for a while because I'm very passionate about it, but we only have a certain amount of time. And, you know, once again, you know, just if it happened to your wife, it happened to your daughter, if it happened to your sister, whatever, you would want some sort of relief and justice to where the man who made that happen could no longer be in charge of the company or of any part of the business that he was doing that in. And that's just it. It really should be that way. But it's not, and it's sad. But It just makes me sad to... Um just for my two cents on it, and then we'll get to a happy, happy thing to close us out. Um, it just makes me sad that not everybody took it that seriously. Like, I can hear both sides of this. I'm agreeing with one side, but I understand where another side is coming from. Private business, private business. It's they, yes, $10 million for a sports fine is, is huge. It is huge. Like, Relatively speaking, no, you're right. It's not a lot of money for him, but, um, and again, it's a private business. It's their thing. Like, we got other stuff to, like, okay, I hear what you're saying, and you're not wrong to certain extents, but the, the, the lack of the inaction is just as strong as you taking action. The fact that they didn't take it seriously, the fact that they didn't appreciate that they had the power to make an example out of somebody and the ripple effects society could have had if they took it seriously, if they grilled Roger Goodell a little more harshly on this versus bringing up the flake gate again. Like who the hell cares about the flake gate again? Like the, the inaction that they took has spoken as loud as what they could have spoken, actually grilling him and just holding themselves to the standards that, the people who they're supposed to be representing want the NFL to hold Daniel Snyder up to and fire him and do more than just this little slap on the wrist. And that's, that's what's heartbreaking to me. I wish that they took it more seriously too. I just, I mean, I can't, I can't speak as eloquently as you have on this, but um, I'm this, this was very disappointing. Your recap of it for me, I was at work when it was happening, but on some brighter, on the, on some brighter notes <laughs> to close to close us out um some long shots we're still betters i'm planning on betting this this off season um james do you have any long shots for this weekend or for this so, episode <laughs> so yeah i think i mentioned one before but there are new odds of new odds are coming out okay now that we get closer to this season new th- you got to pay attention to where you bet where you do and remember guys bet responsibly Please, I will never tell you to bet everything that you have on these long shots because they're long shots. Uh, so They're long shots for a reason. <laughs> they're long shots for a reason, but, you know, sometimes they do pay out. And to qualify to be a long shot for Jimmy B's long shot, it has to be plus 500 or better. So that's five to one odds. It's really not that much of a long shot, but, you know, I'm not going to go tell you the bet on things that are 200 to one and say, oh, that's a great bet, too. 
So I try to, you know, pick some stuff right around, you know, in those areas um, with, you know, big odds that maybe it could happen. Some of the ones that I saw now that are going on Bavada, free plug for Bavada, but pretty much I think they're all the same. Right now we have Derrick Henry for Offensive Player of the Year at plus 1,000. Uh, that's 10 to 1. Um, so if Derrick Henry comes back from his injury and maybe doesn't get injured next season. If he can really, survive a whole season again. If he can survive a whole season again and go on pace for a 2,000-yard season, which that's what he was on for last year, uh, plus 1,000 for Offensive Player of the Year, you know, $10 gets you $100 in that bet. So um, I think I mentioned this one the last time we were on, but I want to say it again. Hertz plus 2,000 for MVP. Um, I think, I don't know. I, I mean, he's got a, upgraded weapons. Like I said, a small bet of $5 gets you $100 on that one. Um, he's got he's got to play better than the 2020 Steelers, the, the worst best team ever. We know we 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 broke down the schedule last week or last episode. They, I looked actually saw a graphic of the the strength of schedule, and literally all four of the NFC East are the four easiest. Like, yeah. So he, like, so he's just, he's just gotta exceed these these expectations. He should put up good numbers. So now he's just gotta put up exemplary numbers. Do something ordinary, extraordinary. And listen, guys, if there's anybody who works hard in this league that I could say just from the press in Philadelphia and everybody, when you listen to Jalen Hurts press conferences and you, you see, you know, that he's working out, he's working out constantly. He bulked up. He's, he's got some muscles in his arms. I mean, like if there's anybody who can make a jump from last season to this season and win MVP, and we were talking about quarterbacks, you know, Jalen Hurts is a good pick. You know, it's plus 2,000, so, you know, $5 gets you 100 bucks. It's a long shot. Yes, it's a long shot. But we have seen, you know, you know, uh, quarterbacks in their second years as starters make that leap and make MVP-type runs. And I think Jalen Hurts is a good pick for that. Um, you know, and so... Um, you know, that's just the filling in me, but remember, that's what I do. And so next, I thought was an interesting long shot, uh, was Doug Peterson to win Coach of the Year at plus 2,000. It's another plus 2,000 bet to win Coach of the Year. Now, Jacksonville spent some money. You have a Super Bowl winning head coach that wants to prove that, it, you know, that he can actually do something in the league, you know. And listen, guys. Doug Peterson uh, won four playoff games with a backup quarterback. You know, he helped Carson Wentz look like an MVP when we really see what he really is like. Help Carson Wentz become an MVP. He nearly he nearly won a playoff game with Josh McCown at quarterback. You know, so I I believe he's a good coach. I do believe he's a good coach, and I think his second chance in Jacksonville. You know, Jacksonville had the number one pick this year. So even if he wins, let's just say, 10 games, which will get him into the playoffs, he could have a case for coach of the year. You know, making a turnaround like that, going going from the worst team in the league 
to a 10-win playoff team. Um, and once again, you know, 10 wins in the NFC South could win you the division. You know, uh, you're talking about the Titans are in there. The Houston Texans are there. You have the Jaguars and you have the Colts. All right. You know, that's going, it's, it, we, it is a very winnable division. If he can turn the team around, like in theory, a Super Bowl winning head coach could. Yes. And he's got Trevor Lawrence. And if anybody's going to get the best out of Trevor Lawrence right now, it's going to be Doug Peterson. Um, you know, and I think, I think you could see that jump. I think you could see them be successful, maybe win the division, get 10 or 11 wins and Doug Peterson winning coach of the year. So He's at plus 2,000 for that, so you can get in on it now. If you want a little, uh, you know, maybe maybe a little bit, you know, smaller odds because you think that'll be a better chance of happening, well, you can bet on the Jets to make the playoffs at plus 650. Um, there's seven teams in the, uh, you know, in the, uh, you know, in the, for that make the playoffs. So the Jets could go nine and eight. You know, they, they do play in a tough division uh, with Miami uh, beefing up with, you know, the Bills and the Patriots. But, you know, we know that nine and eight can get you into the playoffs, you know, and you don't have to win your division to get into the playoffs. You just have to beat up on other teams. And I think the Jets with Zach Wilson, Robert Sala, you know that could happen. Plus six fifty. Even Vegas thinks it could happen. So you can get you know ten dollars to get you sixty five dollars if you think the Jets are going to make the playoffs. Um, and then the final one, I think Daniel like this one. Okay. Uh, Nick Bosa, Defensive Player of the Year, plus fifteen hundred. So plus fifteen hundred. That's uh, I'm not surprised it's that low when he didn't get a single vote for comeback player of the year. I'm not surprised the number's that high. Yeah. So again, he did not get a single vote for comeback player of the year. I sure. Why not? A guy that came off an ACL tear and got 15 sacks. Sure. Don't give him a single vote. Okay. Yeah, I know the, but I think, you know, with that, maybe he comes back with a vengeance and tears it up and can win defensive player of the year at plus 1500. You know, ten dollars gets you 150 bucks. If you're a 49ers fan, you know, there's a 49ers bet for you. I try to do that for you guys, so not make it all about other teams and Philly teams and stuff. <laughs> so I know, think, oh, sorry, I I think of those five. If I were to take one of them, uh, you said Hertz, uh, Peterson, Bosa, um, Derrick Henry, and Jets making the playoffs. Just making the playoffs dead last. I'm not taking that bet at all. Um, <laughs> honestly, I think Peters, of, of those long shots, I think, honestly, what's more likely, I think Peters, I think Peterson's the better bet out of all those, honestly. I don't, I, I'm not convinced Henry's going to win Offensive Player of the Year. We need to see if he can just survive this season. Uh, Bosa, just, Bosa's not. I, I love the guy to death. I wish he would, but I... Unless he comes out and breaks Michael's or and he breaks the sack record. Uh, Strahan has that. If he breaks that and TJ's tying record, maybe he'll win it. But I, I don't know. I'm I'm not seeing that happen. Just my gut's telling me if I have to bet on one of those, I like the the Peterson bet. But those are well, I, I like all I like all those long shots. 
Well, I, I agree with you, Dan. And so I used the last like $3 in my account to bet on Doug Peterson, the win coach of the year. So Beautiful. that was, the, that was, the, you know, I looked at all of them. I was like, I'd like all these bets, but you know, I'm kind of low on cash right now, you know, and my wife and I have an agreement before I, de- I got to ask her before I deposit any money into my account. And I still had a little bit left over. I was like, who do I really want here? And which one do I really think is going to happen? And you're right, Dan, the one that I think out of all of those that's most likely going to happen that has really good odds is Doug Peterson winning coach of the year. And so I, I laid down my last $3.75 on that. Beautiful. Yeah, but <laughs> keep, keep following us, guys. And, you know, trust me, I'm going to look at the odds when the, when the division exactas come down. And I think... You know, we might have some good plays with the exactas for divisions, especially in the NFC East. I I do think we can get some good ones in the NFC East where you could bet. I'm hoping the odds will be enough to where you can bet six different outcomes and come out ahead. So we're going to I'm going to be paying attention to those odds as the uh, preseason comes out after the season starts to coming ahead. I'll try to get it on the show. We'll try to get it on on the show to let you know the exact is for the NFC East because I'm I'm going to be watching those mainly because I think the Eagles are going to be first, and then if you just take by odds, if the Eagles are first, there's six different outcomes that could have with the Eagles being first, okay? And if the odds are good enough for all six exactas, you could end up winning if you bet. The same amount among all six exactas, you may actually come up with a good return if the Eagles finish. And all you really have to do is hope for that the Eagles finish first, which if you look at the NFC East, we haven't had a repeat champion since 2004 uh, when the Eagles did it. So, you know, Dallas won it last year. So if you take that in consideration, the history of the NFC East, they didn't win it last year. So who's going to win it? Is Are the Giants going to win it? I don't think so. Are are the um, are the commanders going to win it? No, I don't think so. But it doesn't matter. You have the Eagles, who's basically the team with the expectations to win the NFCs. Now, a lot of people are saying they are, but you could get six different outcomes if you do the math, and you can end up maybe getting something out of out of it. So we're going to be looking at that. That's what I'm planning to do. I'm going to be watching the odds on those exactas for the NFCs. And hopefully we'll get good enough odds to where you can bet evenly across and actually win some money. So, Very nice. I dig it. So with that, we have reached the end of this episode. Thank you for your patience for this. Uh, we did want to do it last week, but we had to delay it for personal things. Um, but uh, we will be back very, very, very soon. Uh, James, go ahead and let everybody know uh, what's coming down the pipeline, where to reach out to us, all that fun stuff. Okay, so guys, uh, next week we will be recording. Uh, We are going to have some very special guests um, from the college football world and college football analysis. Uh, We will have them on the line to talk about uh, training camp, some of the rookies that they are excited for uh, bringing them on. Um, They had me on their show, so we are are returning the favor and we are having them on our show. So be prepared. to hear about uh, what their expectations of um, the uh, college football class is going to be. 
um, for uh, the 49ers. Um, so always be prepared for the emergency Jimmy G trade uh, podcast. Um, once Jimmy G is traded, if it ever does happen, um, but or just outright released at this rate. <laughs> yeah, if he gets released, but you know, I think I still think a trade's going to happen. There are some quarterback needy teams in. You know, like just the other day, I was reading an article where they found, you know, 11 potential landing spots for Baker Mayfield. So just if there are 11 spots for Baker Mayfield, there's probably 11 spots for um, for Jimmy. So, like, there's somebody's going to want him. Somebody's going to want him and make a play for him. You know, if you're really if you really want like a big return for Jimmy, like, you know, you know, I, I hate to say pray somebody gets injured, but you know, if somebody goes down, you know, some if a quarterback goes down sometime during the preseason with a team that has Super Bowl aspirations, look for a big play for somebody like Jimmy J. Okay. But anyway, that aside, you can reach to us on Niner Nuts at Twitter. We almost have a thousand followers, guys. Thank you so much for getting us to that milestone. We're almost, we're 18 away. So if you can follow us on Niner, uh, Niner Nuts Twitter, that would be great. We also have a Patreon account. If you would like to get early access to uh, our podcast, we usually record on Mondays, release on Wednesdays, but you can have instant access for as little as $5 a month uh, that will support us. That could go to things like, you know, getting merchandise designed and things like that. So we can have a lot of merch for you guys um, currently right now, um, we have a couple t-shirt designs and right now all our proceeds for our t-shirts go to human trafficking, uh, recovery centers in DC, uh, until dance cider is either voted out or until we just say, maybe we raised enough money and we'll move on. Um, either way, we'd like to get you behind that. Um, the gear has our logos. Uh, we have vote Dan out. Uh, we have a couple things that you can get. And right now, all our t-shirt sales on bonfire.com go to um, human traffic recovery centers in Washington, D.C. We're also, uh, I didn't tell this to Dan, but Dan, we are working on getting um, basically a better vote Dan Dan out um, logo to where it doesn't look like a block anymore, but just sort of blends in um with the with the uh, background so yeah it's uh, not it won't be uh like matted or screen printed it'll be like the letters actually on like uh, they'll be blended together like it's all like fabric yeah yeah when when we did the logo um we put a background on it and realized that with the background it doesn't it's not really uh workable on a t-shirt so we're going to so we're working on changing to where it's just the lettering and you can put it on gold or maroon and it still looks like you know um you know vote dan out and it looks like commander's colors so uh we are working on that guys so be aware of that um we'll we'll do a thing on twitter to let you know when that comes out uh if you like the show have ideas just want to reach out to us um or if you write a five-star review, or if you give us a five-star review on something where you can't write a five-star review, email us at 49ernuts at gmail.com. That's 49ernuts at gmail.com. Once again, if you do write a five, give us a five-star rating and write a review, we will read those on the air. Um, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Daniel Mayer and Mayer Creative, uh, for creating our logo. Um, 
Remember, as always, um, we are voting Dan out, not our Dan, but the commander's Dan. Dan, do you have anything left you'd like to say? Uh, you're on mute. Well, yep, I was. <laughs> yeah. um, I usually check Roto World, so I can uh, pull that up if I have it bookmarked. There I go. Uh, it, thanks, Google. It's not called Roto World anymore, actually. Um, there is nothing very interesting right here in the notes. So, nope, nothing really interesting. Except RG3 might want to play again. I mean... Sure. Okay. <laughs> if RG three if RG three gets in before some other players do, I'm not okay. Let's sure. Uh, so that's all I saw there. So I'll just finish this by saying again, congrats, Golden State, you won the NBA championship. Way to represent California. All right, guys. As always, outro music, River Road by Justin Youth. See you on the next episode. River Road. You got me running way back home, River Road, you got me running all night long. You got me singing some canal boat song, River Road, River Road, you got me running all night long. <laughs>